All right, welcome to Village Church. Glad you guys are all here. Really special day for us. Uh, we're celebrating a lot of things, and one of the things that we're doing as a church is actually um, doing Village 2021. And so what that's all about today, uh, we're giving you a whole bunch of information about what we're going to do for our next phase of life and ministry as a church. And what 2021 references is that we hope to be in our own building in South Surrey uh, I, I, by uh, 2021. And it's a building that's not, as I'm going to talk about today, uh, it's not like a church building, a classic church building building where we're all just kind of going to gather there and build like a 6,000 seat thing where all the campuses will come together. That's not what it's going to be. It's not your classic church uh, campaign scenario. We are looking to build a, a ministry center, a hub, a headquarters out of which to actually launch mission and ministry all over the greater Vancouver area, but also into the different cities across Canada and even globally. And so I'm going to be talking about that today. So we're really excited because today is the beginning of that campaign and we're launching it today, giving you all the info. So we're really excited about it. We're going to be praying into it, working through it as a church over the next few months. So, uh, but before we do that, I want to start with a question. Uh, the question is this, which web browser do you use at home on your laptop or your desktop? Which web browser do you use? That's what's going to frame this whole conversation. What I mean by that is uh, show your hands uh, here and across all of our sites if you use Internet Explorer or Safari. All right, just lift your hand high up in the air across all the sites, Langley, South. Okay, Internet Explorer or Safari. All right, keep your hands up. Good. Okay. Now, um, what about uh, Chrome or Firefox? Raise your hands up. Chrome or Firefox? Okay. Uh, across all the sites, look around at one another. Okay. Now, here's the deal. There was a study done a bunch of years ago by a guy named Michael Hausman, and he was looking at the service industry and customer service reps and how long they kept their jobs. And what about the service that they provided? Were people happy or not happy? And he's doing all kinds of comparisons. And what, he was trying to find out why certain people keep their service industry jobs longer than others. And one of the things that he found is on a whim, he said, I wonder what browsers people use. And so he took 30,000 different employees that were customer service reps. And he said, because he could gauge it by the fact that all these people actually um, applied for these jobs using a certain browser. And so he looked at um, all of these different browsers, and what he found were that people that use Firefox and Chrome tend to keep their jobs in the service industry 19% longer than the people who use Safari and Internet Explorer. And, uh, and they had absent, they were 15% less absent to work. All right, they would mean they would go to work more, and uh, and and their and their customers were far. So see the people who use Chrome and Firefox are like, yes, yeah, cars right now. It's just like look around. Can we do the thing again? Can we do it again? All right. Uh, and so uh, what they found is that these people, once you started kind of talking to them, uh, they, they looked into the people that they were representing, and there was a higher level of uh, happiness in regard to their service. Um, and, and so the question began, why is this? Why did this happen? Is there something about this, these browsers that are actually better, that make people better? And the issue, of course, was not that. It was more about a reflection of the people who use the browsers. Because here's the thing. Uh, Internet Explorer and Safari are default browsers that come with your computer. 
To go and get Chrome and Firefox, you have to actually say to yourself, I want to go seek out something that works better, something that's more strategic. You have to ask different kinds of questions. You have to, be, you have to actually say, I'm not going to deal with the default, with the status quo, with the thing that people just hand me. And so what they found is the Internet Explorer Safari people were kind of the kind of people who kind of stuck to the script. All right, their job descriptions were really locked. They made sure they took all their sick days. All right, those kind of people, right? Whereas the Chrome and Firefox people, they were the people who said, let's think differently. Let's ask different questions. Let's go to, let's do different things to do whatever is possible to serve me and my customers. Let's think innovatively. And here's the thing, Village Church, ever since we started, has been the kind of thinking group of people that said, why don't we try to do this thing in a Firefox, Chrome kind of way, where we go, let's ask different questions. Let's do whatever it takes. Let's think differently about whatever it takes to reach as many people as possible in the short time that God has given to us. The people who statistically we cannot reach. Give up on unchurched Canada. Give up on skeptical Canada. Give up on young adults and young families. No one cares about Jesus anymore in our culture. And yet we said, well, what if we just went after those people? What if we asked different questions? What if we did things differently? And today is all about we need to be able to build a ministry hub, a center out of which to do mission and ministry, but it's not to sit around and be a church in one location. That's the classic kind of ministry campaign. We're going to build a building. We're going to be local. We've always said, what does it mean to be national? What does it mean to be global? What does it mean to actually have an impact and actually catch up with what God has already been doing among us, which is reaching people with the gospel via video. I get stories all the time of people saying, I'm a, I'm a missionary in Cambodia, and we're using your media and your sermons to train up missionaries. There's things that God has been doing, healing marriages, reaching people with the gospel that we can barely keep up on. The kinds of things that are happening. We're planting a church in two weeks in Calgary, in a city that none of us are living in right now, but we're, we're, we're saying this is our family. We actually need to reach people in Calgary. So right now they're there and they're doing pre-launch setups and uh, Pastor Eric's sending me pictures. What do you think about this? What do you, I mean, this is a moment, guys, that we're going to tell our grandkids about. This is something to, to have golf tournaments where you raise $800,000 to help people we will never meet. That stuff it just doesn't happen. I was talking to someone this week about it because, of course, that day we did the golf tournament. We were there so early and we got home so late that we never, the person and I were talking, I never saw my kids. She never saw her kids when she got up. We never saw our kids and we, by the time we got home. And we said, but how beautiful is it? We didn't see our kids today raising money for a group of people who deal with that every day. The fact that they might not see their kids because they're going to get bombed, killed by ISIS, destroyed. Here we are trying to do something that's different, to ask different questions, to have a missional heart and mind that says we will do anything with the short little time God has given to us. We're going to use our, 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 our time, yep, we're going to use our talent, yep, but we're going to use our treasure to reach as many people as possible. Um, here's a great image of the spirit of Village Church. The, the, the Chrome Firefox spirit, all right? It's, um, I, uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, I was on my way to work and I had to stop and visit a guy who was terminally ill in our church. So um, the doctor had given him a little bit to live and, and so I went to visit him and his wife in their apartment and, and as I was going there, I had uh, a few of my books that are going to be coming out, uh, that have come out already. We're going to be doing a, a whole sermon series on it. I'll talk about that later. Um, 
But uh, the idea that the, the, I had like a few books left and that the publisher had sent me and so the books hadn't uh, come out yet. And so I, it, the last one that I had was sitting in my passenger seat and I'm driving to visit this guy and I looked down and I'm like, boy, I'm glad I have this last one copy because I'm not going to see another copy for a little bit. And, uh, and God, as I pull up, God says, give it to him. And I said, well, what do you mean? Uh, this is my only copy. And he said, give it to the guy. He needs to read it. He's terminally ill. It's your last copy, I understand, but give it to him. And I said, okay. So I, so I grabbed it, and I went up to his apartment. I gave it to him. I said, hey, I just wanted you to be able to read this. And, uh, and you know, uh, hopefully it blesses you and so on. So the next day, my assistant called me, and she said, hey, he just called, and he wants to order 40 of your books. And I said, what for? And she said, because he wants to give a copy to every single person who comes to visit him in the hospital while he's sick. He wants to take this, see, this, that's the spirit of village. The missional, that's the spirit of our church. What does it look like? See, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5. Remember we did, we've been in Matthew for a while, but remember like eight years ago when we were in Matthew 5? Here's what Jesus said, all right? And if you're new, we've been in Matthew for a long time. And if you're new, a special welcome to you. Glad that you're here. Uh, this is a family conversation about a campaign that we're launching next week. We're getting into the Problem of God series, which we're really excited about. And so make sure you grab invite cards for that. Bring your family, bring your friends and coworkers that don't know Jesus. Really excited about that. It's a sermon series based uh, on, on the book that I wrote, answering of eight top questions that skeptics have, the challenges they have against Christianity, and uh, really just hoping to be able to reach a lot of people through that, so make sure that you uh, engage in that. But here's the thing. Jesus says this, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So as we talk about ministry and, and raising money and buildings and resources and hubs, the only reason we're doing it are, the, are for those two reasons right there. The mission Jesus has given us to be salt and light in order to glorify our Father. That's the reason we're doing any of this stuff. It's not just for fun. It's the mission that God has given to each and every one of us. That's what we're in the midst of. This is the moment that God has given to us. And this is the stuff I never... Listen, let me, let me give you kind of the, the, the timeline of our church, kind of the story of migration, because our church's story is a story of movement, but it's a story of migration, where we moved from different spaces, and the reason I want to frame it this way is because what we're launching into now is simply the next phase of Village Church's migration story, that we actually, and so it all began uh, in my house, I'm going to put up a timeline for you, if you look at the top, uh, bottom left, April 2009, we began meeting and praying and dreaming as a core group of 16 people in my house in South Surrey. I felt called by, called by God to plant a church in April 2007. I didn't know what that was going to look like. So our local church sent us out. 16 people started gathering in my townhouse. And we just started to pray. And we started to say, how do we actually start a church for people like us? Like the ragamuffins, the messed up people, the people who, who, who didn't necessarily grow up in this. So we started doing surveys on the street around my house and saying... 
Why don't you go to church? What kind of church would you go to? What, what do you think about Jesus? And people gave us all kinds of data. And it was fascinating for a few people in the group because they're total introverts. And I forced them to go out and talk to people with a survey and say, what do you think about Jesus? All right, what do you think about the church? And they're like shaking. And I'm like, are you on this court? Are you a missionary? What is wrong with you? Go back to our home church, all right? You're not fit for this team, no. So they started talking to people and getting information and going, what kind of church do we actually start? And we started praying into this. In January 2010, we had found a, uh, a, a spot in the elementary school gym, Rosemary Heights, and we started gathering there. We had 163 people at our launch. 163. We had 50 people at our pre-launch, which is what we wanted to do. I, my goal was to have 50 people be part of the church before we ever started, because screaming and yelling at less than that feels awkward, all right? So, so 50 people was the goal. I'm not saying that's a godly number. I'm just saying it's what I'm comfortable with. So 50 people at our pre-launch service, and we said, okay, now we got to go actually read some people. So 163 people started on January in January 2010, and then we grew it to 100. <laughs> so we went from 163 to 100 through fantastic ministry. Um, and then for about a year, we just kind of stayed there. We kept reaching out to the community and doing our best. And then the church started to grow. People started to meet Jesus. People started to get baptized. People started to bring their friends. And in May 2011, we had to add a second service. And that was a big deal because everyone said, oh my goodness, the community's going to be busted up. We're not going to be here with our friends anymore. I can't believe we got to go two services. So I just got up and said, listen, we didn't start a church for you to get more friends. We planted a church so we could reach people who are dying and going to hell every single day. So we're starting two services. And if you don't want to go, here anymore, then don't come here anymore. And so just by going to two services in May 2011, in one week, we grew by 50 people. Right now, there was a woman who came up to me and said, this is going to be the nail in our coffin. We should not go to two services. And so I got up and said, look, if you don't want to be here, you can leave. And so we grew by 50, 49 people in a week because she left. So... <laughs> Uh, May 2011, added our second service. That was crazy. Uh, that was an amazing day to realize, man, when you offer more opportunities, more people opt. And then in January 2012, we had to offer a third service because there were so many people in this little cul-de-sac. People had bought these two, three million dollar homes in this Rosemary Heights area. And the reason they bought them was because it was such a safe, quiet little neighborhood and there's no issues on Sundays and Saturdays, right? And all of a sudden there's cars, people parking on people's lawns, you know, screaming at everybody. There was like, there'd be people like parking 10 minutes away to get a parking spot. Some of you were there during these days. These were exciting days. The day of Good Friday, where we had to seat people out on the basketball court with a little television that was this big because you couldn't fit them in the gym on a Good Friday. And they were sitting out there and, and, and these people would walk from 10 minutes, right? People would be living, it was like the walking dead. just like, groups of people just coming to church, people looking out their little, you know, blinds going, what's going on here? Those were crazy days. It got to the point where we're preaching three services. I'm getting tired. People are coming to know Jesus. And then a church graciously called me up and said, we're going to leave the Bell Center and we'd love you to be able to have it and take first crack at it. And so met with their pastor. That was an amazing moment. And so we came in here and we got given this opportunity. And I remember coming in here and looking around at this space and going, my gosh, I, I, like, I like a gym, man. Those people are close. I get to like, you know, look in their face and, you know, and I know that guy and I'm mad at you or whatever and kind of do this thing. And, and now it's going to be big. And, and I think we should start with one service. And luckily I have smarter people than me around me. And they said, we got to start with two services because there won't be enough room. And so they finally convinced me to do it. 
which will be a theme, by the way. Uh, and so we, uh, we came in here in July 2012. Now, here's what they tell you. Don't plant a church or move or start a service in the summer because, you know, you know, BC people, half the time you guys are gone to Kelowna or whatever. So don't ever do that. That's the dumbest thing you can do. Again, a theme on here is we start everything in the summer. All right, so July 2012, we come in here. We start with two services. Uh, it goes well. June 2013, we have to add a third service uh, just to be able to house the amount of people coming, uh, meeting Jesus, getting baptized. July 2014, we started an afternoon service in North Surrey. That was our north site up in the Chandis Patterson Auditorium. July uh, 2015, we add a fourth service here at the Bell Center. Notice we started our North Surrey site in the middle of the summer. Um, and then in July, middle of the summer, the next year, we added a fourth service here. Really smart people. Um, and then June 2016, we planted a new location in Langley South, opening to over 1,300 people. That was at the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We started that with two services. Again, I wanted to do one, and they said, don't be dumb. We do two. I said, okay. And then we went to three services there. Um, because there's people much better at math than me at this organization, which is really good. Um, and then June 2017, we planted a, a new cinema location in Langley North to over 600 people. That was the idea that we, uh, we started in the movie theater where our worship and our preaching, and a bunch of you are sitting there right now watching this, is actually in a cinema experience, an amazing experience, uh, something you guys are really on the cutting edge of. And then September 2017, we are going to plant Village Calgary in just a couple weeks, which is amazing. And then 2018 and on, we're going to plant Village Montreal and other new locations. That's kind of our migration story that then brings us to today, which is a story where the next phase of what we're going to do is we have to actually buy our own home. We have to get a hub. And so we have this opportunity. We have a, a picture of it. I've shown you before, which is the land, uh, the piece of land that we've had tied up for two years, which is right beside our present ministry center. You can see it there, uh, the village church site. So this piece of land has actually, since we tied it up two years ago, has increased in value about $300,000 uh, just by being there. And, uh, and you can see the current ministry site. So you have the village church site right here. Um, it's about... Um, uh, it, it, it's a beautiful spot because it's, you know, think, even thinking about uh, Jesus' words about city on a hill, it's a very busy spot. It's not, a, it's not a private spot. It's a very public spot right on 10 Road. It's a beautiful spot to actually build a building. And then uh, I'm going to show you a picture. Of the, this is not the actual building. This is just a rendering of it so you can kind of get the vibe. This is design concept only, and those birds probably won't be there all the time, so don't get really attached. Um, and we probably won't grow grass on the roof either. So anyways, uh, so anyway, the point is you can see the building there uh, to give you a concept of space. Now, here's the thing you got to understand. Like I said, this isn't kind of a classic, hey, we're going to, you know, build a church thing and we're just going to kind of be a local thing. We, we got to actually go through the whys. Why would we build a building like this? And there's hundreds of reasons why we do it. I'm just going to check off a few of them. I wrote down a few of them just to share with you. The first thing is a lot of people would go, okay, we're going to hit this first phase. We've got we to buy this land. We've got to get this land locked down by February 28th. We need $10 million in the bank by February 28th. I'll talk about that in a second because you all have a lot to do with that. Um, but the reality is, is in order to do that, then we're going to hit phase two, which is build an actual building on it, which is 
be closer to $20 million to actually build the building. But we got to get the land locked down because then we have options. And so the reality is, is why would we do that? Why don't we just give $20 million away to Africans? I was hanging out with my missionary buddy uh, who's a missionary in Uganda uh, yesterday. We were talking about this. The reality is, is that, yeah, you could do that. But there's a way better plan, which is a plan of sustainability, where if, if we build a building right, if we build a ministry center, a hub, a headquarters right, then we have long-term fundraising that we can do for all of our global mission stuff. India, Uganda, the stuff we're doing through Love Does in the Middle East. We're talking about 20, 30 years of legacy ongoing. We're talking about, which was actually the best thing for Uganda and Africa and, and Middle Eastern countries is not just to throw money at it because we know what happens oftentimes with that. It's to raise up missionaries to go. I was inspired listening to um, uh, the, 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 the vision of Saddleback years ago was that they would be a church that actually sent a missionary to every single country in the world. And they're the only church in history that they know of that has actually done this. Every single country on the planet, Saddleback has sent missionaries to. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that that's our vision, but getting a hub out of which we can actually train up missionaries to be sent to the nations, which is the call of Jesus in our life, by the way. See, here's the beautiful thing. He says, you're salt. What does that mean? Salt makes stuff taste better. It preserves it. This is what he's saying. You make the world better. You make, you bring out the taste of the goodness. You're actually a light in the midst of darkness. That's the point of the nations locally. Here's the thing, what we, we, the ministries we would be able to do in our ministry center, all right, I mean, starting from the idea of uh, Sunday experiences. So, yeah, there'll be about a 1,500 to 2,000-seat auditorium built in the ministry center, and the South Surrey site will attend there. But the reality is it's going to bless Langley South, Langley North, uh, Calgary, because it's all about how do we capture sermons? How do we actually take this technology? How do we do kids' ministry, young adult ministry, women's conferences, be able to actually—we have the amount of limitations— that we actually have as a church are mind-boggling. We try to, I mean, I had an idea a couple months ago. I'm like, okay, I would love to teach Romans in a day. All right, Romans in a day. That's a course all of you are pumped about, right? You come in at 9 a.m., I sit up here with my iPad, and I literally circle all the way through Romans. You get a break for lunch, maybe 15 minutes, and then we continue to go right till 5 or 6 p.m. through the all 16 chapters of the book of Romans. And I sit up here and circle words and exegete the text for you and so on and so forth. Here's the thing. We can't just schedule that at the Bell Center or the seventh day. We're, we got limitations. Like, yeah, you can have a date right here in the middle, maybe of February. It's like we are totally hamstrung with what we can actually do in regard to rentals. Our women's director, Ann Miranda, wants to lead a movement of women across Canada. It is very hard to be able to do that hold conferences here at the Bell Center and go into these little classrooms that are, you know, dirty high school classrooms and be able to do that. Here's the thing about us as a church. If we were a normal church, if we were kind of an average church, we'd be able to just stay here, do our sites, and do the things that we do. The problem is we're not a normal church. We're kind of a Firefox Chrome church, which decided to have multi-site and do our preaching via video. So 95% of our church, when they engage sermon content, it's via video. Now here's the problem with that. 
that. No church across the U.S., or very few that I know of, I actually don't know of any, but I'm sure there's one outlier somewhere, will actually set up a video ministry by way of preaching and not have a room that they call their own that is locked down out of which to do this. We come in here at 6 a.m. All of these production guys come in here at 6 a.m. and set all this stuff up and tear it down. Now listen, it sounds like fun. It ain't fun. And the whole thing is completely vulnerable because when you have Calgary and Toronto and Montreal and Ottawa and Saskatoon and Fort St. John and 25 locations across Canada depending on this, do you know what happened three weeks ago? They were filming the service and whoa, oh, little wire popped out and a battery reset. Boom. We had to come back in here and do the whole service again when you guys were at White Spot enjoying your families. All right? At 1.30 in the afternoon, we're in here doing this again because Calgary needs to see it and, uh, and, and, and uh, 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 Cinema Site needs to see it. And so we need to do all this because we don't have a locked room. You can't base a movement, you can't plant 25 locations across Canada, which is what we want to do, with set up and tear down for two hours on a Sunday morning in a facility that you rent that's completely mobile. It can't be done. Literally, the vision that we have is being hindered by the space that we're in. We want to be able to reach as many people as possible. We want to be able to do youth ministry. Right now, our youth ministry has hundreds of kids, amazing kids, loving Jesus. Our young adult ministry. Listen, here's the beautiful thing. Talk about blessing our cities. When I went and spoke to the land issue, when I talked to the at city council, I got to look at the mayor and say, listen, we had a vision not just to be a good church. We want to build a great city. And part of building a great city is going after the young people so that on a Friday night, they're not shipwrecking their lives with drugs and gangs. And, and look at us. On a Friday night, you have up to 400 young adults worshiping Jesus through the collective all right, we have youth, and you're going to, but where do they go? You know where they go? We rent a church in Cloverdale for them to go to. We can't even house it as our own church. We can't take the youth and the young adults and go, hey, let's start a movement here. Let's not get in trouble on a Friday. Let's love Jesus. Let's sacrifice. Let's serve. We can't, we're not doing any of that in-house. We're renting everything to do that. We're extremely limited in actually what we can accomplish and what we can do. Um, our youth ministry, the other day, so my daughter, Sienna, is now entered into junior high ministry. And so this is her first year. So it's going to be very interesting because now all my attention's on it. And so they went away to Camp Luther this week. And, uh, and they, just these videos of the kids worshiping Jesus and seeing my daughter in that setting, like loving God and hearing these messages and the Bible preached and worshiping, entering the community. It's beautiful. I walked into Cactus Club um, uh, two days ago to pick up some food that my wife ordered. And the girl behind the counter, she's like, hi, Pastor Mark. I'm like, hey, how's it going? She's like, I was one of the youth leaders at junior high camp. And I love your daughter. She was there with her ukulele, you know, singing to everyone and did a little Taylor Swift concert for us. And I'm like, of course she did. <laughs> She's my kid. Literally, I saw a video of the whole place sitting, eating lunch, and Sienna's on a table singing. All right. I'm like, oh my gosh. So, She's like, hey, I'm one of your youth leaders, and I loved it there. And here I, I see this you know, young girl, a youth leader, serving kids, and then working a cactus club. Half of cactus club here goes to Village Church because they're like, there's this salt and light, beautiful thing going on. We want to be able to house that. Train up leaders actually have a home out of which to do that with a ton of flexibility, a ton of technology. Here's what we would love to be able to do as a church. 
We would love to be able to have our services live streamed to the different campuses so we don't have to do one week delay. All of this is one week delay. I capture it here and then everybody else sees the sermons the next week. The reality is it's because we don't have the technology here at the Bell Center to be able to do it, to live stream it, to actually have all the campuses on the same page, studying the same passage of scripture, hearing the same. And now, listen, guys, I can't even reference stuff that happens in the world because a week later, it doesn't matter. All right. My limitations. It's like, you can't mention that. It's like, well, but they dropped a nuke. It's like, sorry, it's one week delay. It's like, ah, I would love our whole church just be on the same page and be able to go, man, theologically, missiologically, we're going together in a new ministry center. That's what we'll do. We'll be able to be able to do these things all at the same time, be able to have services where we're actually joined together doing these things. Innovative ideas get limited. I had the idea, along with a group of people, to start this cinema site idea in October. We couldn't launch it till June. Why? Because we didn't have any space. We couldn't get in and rent spaces. Oh, you can come in in a month and try this camera. You can come in in five weeks and try this. We literally spent nine months just in concept to be able to actually take this stuff because our ideas, our innovation is actually limited to what we're wanting to do. And uh, finally, one of, the, one of the whys of needing this is the vulnerability that we have, just culturally speaking. Our culture has started to shift in a big way against Christianity in many ways, specifically in regard to same-sex marriage. And what starts to happen is even when we went after the land, there was a group that actually sent emails and said, we don't want this church group buying this piece of land because we went on their website and we saw that they think that marriage is between a man and a woman. And they should be held back because basically we're a hate group. They should be held back from getting any kind of land in Surrey at all. And that didn't pass. The city still passed it. But you got to understand, we are vulnerable here. This is a public space. Uh, This is a high school. And sooner or later, they're going to go, I mean, our contract is basically have six months and then we're gone. Six months notice and we're gone. And I don't think that that's too far away once they start actually reading the website. All right. So just don't, (laughs) don't put it out there too much. All right. Your church have a website? No, I'm not sure. (laughs) The reality is we're vulnerable here. This is not a long-term play. This is not a 10, 20 year plan. And so what are we going to do? We have this amazing opportunity. Now, some of you uh, are financial people. You want to know, okay, what, what are, we've done all the study. Our executive pastor, John Broadhead, did an amazing job. You can see it in your, uh, in your pamphlet. Uh, there's a lease versus buy section that goes through, and we looked at all the options, uh, both ministry-wise and financially, or what are the better options? Just continue to lease, or should we buy? And the reality is, is that no-brainer for the next 20 years, financially, we save millions and millions of dollars by buying versus leasing. And let me, let me just, let me just, I mean, even if there was a spot to lease and be able to do ministry, which there isn't in this area at all, but even if there was, it wouldn't financially be viable or a good idea. Let me give you an example of that. Um, Once we get the land, let's say that you don't give one more dime, worst case scenario, and we have to build a building based all on mortgage. Because once we get the land, then we have options with the bank. So let's say we mortgaged a $20 million building with the bank. The reality is, is we would pay the same or less on those mortgage payments per year than we pay right now in leasing and renting the spaces that would be replaced 
by buying a building, over $800,000. We spend right now on office space and all the rent of the spaces that would be, I'm not even counting the spaces that wouldn't be replaced by this building. The Langley site, all that, still that, I'm, I, take that away. We're still at over $800,000 in rent. We would be able to pay just over $800,000 on a mortgage per year for something we own. So financially, it's the best play. It's the way to build a legacy. It's the way to actually have money for ministry. But I know that's not good. We're not going to have to have a $20 million mortgage because I know what some of you make. And you're not going to let that happen. I can guarantee it. Now, here's the thing. Um, The beautiful thing about getting a building, too, and then I'm going to tell you how you can be a part of this is that I was talking to my, uh, one of my mentors, Ray Johnson. He runs a church of 18,000 people. He's 60 years old. I like to go after the older guys so they can pour into me and make sure I don't make... I don't like hanging out with 37-year-old guys because then we're all just making the same mistakes. We're like, boy, this is hard. It's like, yeah, why am I talking to you? <laughs> I need to go find someone who's done this before. So he runs a church of 18,000 people. He said, here's a beautiful thing. He says, just by building a building alone, you're going to grow. Because people, once there's a, there's a, there's a, a footprint... Then people actually come to your church just by building. And he says, here's what happens. Then over time, they start to pay off the thing that you built. He said, we were a church of 4,000 people uh, a bunch of years ago. We bought a building, did a campaign, bought a building. The first year we got into the building, we grew by 4,000 to 7,000 people just by being in the building. And then those people started to give and pay off the building and the mortgage that we had. And so just by having the piece of land and just by building a building on it, we're actually going to grow as a church. Now, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Here's how we're going to do it. Every single one of us in this church is going to be a part of this. The first phase is to buy the land for $10 million. The second phase is $20 million. So all we're talking about right now is the $10 million. We don't want to go to six people and say, hey, you should fund this. Every single one of us needs to figure out before God what our part to play in this is. And so we uh, put a chart together so that every single one of us can see ourselves on this chart. At the top of the chart, we need one gift of $1 million. This collectively will come together. 1,700 gifts that we put together based on families come together to make up $10 million to be able to buy the land by February 28th. So one gift at the top, $1 million. Two of you can give $500,000. Families, individuals, whatever it is. Three gifts of $250,000. 10 gifts of $100,000. 20 gifts of $50,000. 30 gifts of $25,000. 150 gifts of $10,000. 500 gifts of $3,000. And 1,000 gifts of $1,500. That means every person in here, whether you're the CEO of uh, an amazing company or you're a college kid going to Trinity, you need to find yourself on this chart and say, what is my part going to be? It can't be nothing. There's no, there's no free ride. There's no free. Remember we're, a, remember, we're not a cruise liner. You don't get to just sit and get a tan. Right? This is a battleship. And here's the beautiful part. Listen, we've been eight years. And we've never had to come to our church and say, we have to now go over and above our operational costs to do something generous. We've never dug deep. You've had it easy to this point. We've never asked you to be generous. We've never asked you to give over and above keeping the lights on and paying the staff and doing ministry. 
This is the moment. We've been seeing Jesus teach us about money and wealth and treasure for the last couple months. Now it's time for us to go, where do I find myself here? Now, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to tell me where you find yourself on this chart right now. We want to make it more difficult than that. Because we want God to be involved in telling you where you're on the chart. Because here's what you're going to do. You're going to go, oh, I see myself. I can give this. The problem is you haven't consulted God yet. And I can almost guarantee you that once God gets involved, that number will change. So here's the four steps we actually want you to do. First step, we need you to pray. Actually pray. And ask God to give you a number. Say, how am I going to be involved in this campaign? Don't just, because you're just going to come up with some number that you're comfortable. I make this, I just, boom, I can do that. Some of you have already said, hey, we can do that. And I'm like, okay, I, I actually want you to go away and pray and fast and talk to your spouse and actually ask God for a number because I think maybe it should be higher. Because here's what I know about God. He wants to stretch you. He doesn't want you to be comfortable. All the greats, Throughout the Bible, whether it's David losing a kid, Job losing everything, over and over and over, Joseph getting enslaved, thrown into a well, God giving up his own son, Jesus suffering. The whole point is we get stretched. When the Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it says, yeah, you're supposed to give generously, but you're also supposed to give sacrificially. And some of you give and you don't feel it. Some of you don't give it all, but some of you give, but you don't, you don't feel it. What we want you to do is feel it, and here's why. We want you to pray. We want you to examine your finances. We want you to discuss with your spouse, if you have one, and then give it, and you're going to not give it yet. You're gonna, we're going to have a pledge day. October 15th is actually the day, so you're going to pray from now until October 15th. You're going to fast. You're going to pray. You're going to discuss. What does God actually want me to give to this? And then the day it's actually due is February 28th, meaning you've got to bring that money in before February 28th. Now, I was sitting in New York City, and I'm sitting with a bunch of pastors talking about church planting nationally, and we we're all giving our updates on what's going on in our life. And I said, well, you know, I'm about to launch into a 30 million, probably three-year, $30 million campaign, but the first phase is $10 million in the next bunch of months. And so that's kind of my life right now. And this pastor over here goes, oh man, that's awesome. And I'm like, what do you mean it's awesome? Doesn't sound awesome to me. Sounds like work. Like, I just want to preach the Bible. And he's like, no. He goes, I'll tell you why it's awesome. He goes, every campaign I've ever done in my life, and I totally believe this because I'm starting to see it, by the way. He said, the stories of God speaking to people get crazy in your church. The yeah, one guy who likes that. Let's give it up. Let's give it up. The stories of people going, um, I thought this, then this, so I gave that, then this crazy thing happened, and it starts to buzz. And for the next seven, five, six months and two years, what we want to create is a spirit of generosity where we're going to hear the stories of God actually moving experientially and becoming more of a father to you because you're going to jump off a ledge and you're going to need the father to catch you because you're going to come up with numbers that are going to feel like sacrifice. You go through the Bible. Widow comes up, gives her two, you know, two pennies, and Jesus goes, she gave more than everybody else. Well, why is that? Listen, N.T. Wright points out a very important thing about that story. Jesus says she gave more than everybody else, not because of what she gave, but because she what she kept. 
The question isn't how much you're giving, it's how much are you, are you actually living on? How much are you needing? How much is a sacrifice where you can go, my gosh, I don't know if I need all of these things, but I gotta actually feel this. I gotta get God to speak to me to say, this is what I'm gonna do. We're already hearing that. I talked to a guy the other day, blue collar guy, all right? So don't put this guy at kind of high level, blue collar, random Joe like most of us, okay? Comes to the annual general meeting in April. Tells me this the other day. He said, I'm sitting in the annual general meeting in April, and uh, I have this house, and it hasn't been able to sell for like a long time. I'm just getting frustrated and stressed, and my wife and I are meh, right, totally stressed out. I don't know what to do. So then you put up the, the building and the land, and God speaks to me and says something very clear. He said, hey, regular Joe, I want you, it's probably not what God called him, probably called him by his name. He said, I want you to give $50,000. To this. And he said, I don't have $50,000. He said, I want you to give $50,000. Not only do I want you to give $50,000, I want you to tell your wife you're going to give $50,000. I want you, before this meeting is over, to tell your wife that you're going to give $50,000 to this thing. He's like, uh, okay. So he's just obedient. So he looks at his wife and goes, we're going to give $50,000 to this thing. She's like, what are you talking What are you talking about, fool? <laughs> Listen, God told me we're going to give $50,000 to this thing. He said, that was like a Tuesday night. By Thursday, house was sold. Gone. See, here's the crazy stories that start to come in. That God starts going, do you trust me as father? If you're going to do your job as salt and light, do you trust me as father to go deeper than you've ever gone? To go, oh my goodness, I actually need to give to this. Now, so, there's so many new Christians here at Village that some of you just literally, you have no understanding of what generosity is. You have no idea of what financial uh, stewardship is with your discipleship because you know Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Follow the money and that decides by wh what you worship. So from very, so I thought, well, how do I give them something to hold on to, to grasp on, to give them example? So here's the example. I, I figured I'd just give you the example of my life. Right? I'm just going to tell you how Aaron and I organize our finances in this regard and then let it be an example to you. I'm not saying this is prescriptive for your, or descriptive for your life. I, I'm just saying it's descriptive of my life. It's not prescriptive for you. And so here's what Aaron and I have always done in regard to the church and charitable giving. First off, we have a mentality of a tithe. Now, we don't necessarily teach that. We don't tell you to tithe 10% of your money, but that's a biblical concept that we found and we were personally convicted of very early on. We've been married for 13 years. We've been dated five years before that, so we've basically been together for 80 years. So feels like it. So, uh, so from very early on, we just said 10% of our net salary will go to the local church that we're a part of. So I'm talking when she was making $35,000 a year, and I was paying six, seven grand to get a, a master's degree, we'd still say 10% of our salary, boom, goes to the local church right off the bat. Not even thinking about it. Because we believed in this first fruits thing where God doesn't get what's left over after we pay TELUS off and after we pay our Wi-Fi off, after we pay our cable off. It's like, boom, right off the top, God gets it into the local church. 10%. So when I was making 65 grand a year, it was like, and, and I was a church planter, $6,500, boom, right to village without even thinking about it. That's base what we've always done. 
And God has always provided for us, by the way, in crazy ways, ways that you, never, you know, wouldn't even think about. It's like you write that check and go, I don't know what's going to happen, man. And then someone walks up and goes, here, want money? I'm like, what? And they just disappear. And it's like, what's that? Name? What's going on right now? All right, just crazy stuff, man. And this is why he becomes a father to you in a crazy way. Um, on top of what we give to the local church, then there's the question of offerings over and above that for her and I. And so we have always wanted to say we give to missionaries. Uh, golf tournament comes about, write a check for that. Uh, missionaries, uh, friends that need it, uh, church plants, whatever we can do to help people. Um, and then we have 12 kids that we support monthly through DFN, Kawasha, and International Justice Mission. So on top of what we give to the local church, then we ask the question of parachurches and missionaries and people that we give. So we probably give 12, 13, 14% of our net income away to the church and to charitable things. Now, some of you give more than that, and that's beautiful. That's amazing. I believe in something that's a graduated giving, where every year you're constantly asked the question, how much do I have to give? How much should I give? How much, how much, what Jesus actually called me to do? Um, here's the reality, though. Many of you aren't doing that. There's no spirit of generosity that's, that's grabbed a hold of your heart yet. You're not even close to this. The average giving at our church is probably below the poverty line. It's like you're living in poverty, most of our church, like 1,500 bucks a year. That's got to change. This is a new phase for our church. We have to give to operational, but over and above that, now Aaron and I are like, okay, hey, above this, now what do we put into this campaign? What do we trust God for above this? Because in the next five and a half months, we basically need everyone to come up with a number that triples anything they've given toward operational. And then some. That's the goal. And here's the beautiful spirit of it. Every single one of us is going to play a part. Or it's not going to happen. Every single one of us has to reorganize and go, what is God actually calling me to do right now? Ray Johnson's church, the beautiful spirit of it is, is it's, it's built on a whole spirit of generosity. I was down there preaching, and they got up. And this is 20, 25 years of doing this, of always looking at his church. They get up almost like every three weeks. You guys know, I don't talk a ton about money, and that's strategic. And, but there's moments where we have to. Uh, I was down there, and they go, okay, let's do the money talk. And I'm like, how often do you do that? They're like, oh, every two weeks. And the guy gets up, and he's like, hey, guys. You know, we want to put the, the, the pedal to the metal during the summer, and I know usually we hold back ministry, and, but we came to you and said, we want to do amazing ministry this summer, but we're $500,000 behind, and so we really need you guys to dig deep above and beyond what you normally give, and we need $500,000 in the next three weeks. And I'm sitting backstage, I'm like, oh, and he's like, I'm here to report that you didn't give $500,000. You gave seven hundred and fifty, And everyone went, And everyone goes crazy in the church, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. They do this, they're in a perpetual campaign constantly because they're always giving money away. They're always needing to build a new wing. It's a spirit that gets built. And I understand we haven't built it yet. But it's starting. And it's beautiful. And it's exciting because we're going to start hearing the stories. So that's what we need you to do. Starting today, pray, think, talk to your spouse, fast. God, what do you want me to do? Pledge day is October 15. You're going to rip off the thing on the booklet. You're going to email the website, village2021.com. Pledge it on October 15 so we know what's coming in, so we know that you're going to give it, and then it has to be in the bank by February 28. This is an exciting moment for our church. This is an amazing moment for our church. Why don't you stand together? I want to pray for us. Father, we are grateful that you actually allow us you allow us to be co-laborers with you. You don't need us. 
to do any of this, but you, you actually give us the opportunity to be blessed and change and grow and be stretched. And so this is a moment for us as a church, a new phase, a phase where we're getting stretched and pushed and challenged. And I pray that we actually listen to you, to what you have for us in the midst of this amazing moment, to build something that's going to build a legacy to build something that's going to bless not only South Surrey, but Langley South and Langley North and Calgary and Montreal and whatever comes after that, Ottawa, Saskatoon, Toronto, whatever you've got for us, this is the place we're going to be able to do that. And we know that these are vulnerable times and we want to be smart and resourceful and think through how is the culture turning? How can we continue to convey and advance the gospel, as you say in Philippians 1, to be salt and light to the world you've called us to. This is a moment where we get to do that. And I just pray for a spirit of generosity around all of us, that we would reorganize our budgets and priorities around the priority of the gospel. Do that work among us. In Jesus' great name we pray, amen.